This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. Busy day. Harold Ford, bottom of the hour. He is somebody, an example of a Democratic moderate who no longer is in politics. He's going to be joining us to give us his, his instant analysis on the ticket that's just come together. Today is going to be kind of cool. Uh, we have jobs numbers that are pretty encouraging. And I only I say this measured. Uh, for the first time in 21 weeks, we have a jobs number where under a million people applied 963,000 for unemployment claims. Now, what's significant about that? You know, I, I am not a member of the World Bank Board, but I will say that almost everything I read, I try to read before the show where the job numbers are going to be on Thursdays, and then I see when the unemployment is at the end of the month and things like that, and they, nobody said it was going to be under a million. Nobody. And they said it's going to be so much worse now that they, you're not getting that $600 supplemental. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, you're not getting the $600 supplemental if you're not unemployed. But having said that, I believe it's related. When you realize you get unemployment and $600, it's more than many people were getting paid when they had a job. So they were sitting on the sideline, and they're getting more money. And I listen, I, I'm, I understand it to a degree, even though ethically it's wrong and legally it's not right. But you're a little ticked off. Your job disappeared through no fault of your own. You've been furloughed. Or you got, you got a call from your restaurant to go back. You're not going to make as much tips, and you're making more staying home. So I get it to a degree. So now we don't have a rescue package, but the job number's gone down. Very interesting to see who now has uh, leverage in this relationship. The vice president's going to be going to Iowa to launch Farmers and Ranchers, brand new program. Uh, They need Iowa. They got it last time. Will they get it this time? And you have have, uh, also uh, the Senator Kamala Harris is going to be going down the road as well. So we'll talk about all that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The virtual learning is not like being in a classroom. And we've learned that, I think, very strongly. In almost all cases, people thought for a long time that would be the answer, but it's uh, that's not the answer. The answer is an old-fashioned one, isn't it? Get back to school. Get back in the classroom. Life is not without risk, neither is that. Coronavirus, not kids, have to get back to school with it or without it. We're going to have to beat the virus eventually, but until then, we have to live with it. That's the message for me and President Trump. Emotions are high on all sides. What's happening in your town, and what are you going to do with your family? Number two. There's a reason it has hit America worse than any other advanced nation. It's because of Trump's failure to take it seriously from the start. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris yesterday taking aim at the president of the United States. The reaction to Harris's nomination is wide sweeping. How she attacked the Trump administration was to say the least eyebrow raising and Trump uh, to say the least eyebrow raising. And that's on the economy. uh, Number one and number two on terrorists. And Trump's attack back was rapid, direct and clear. Let's get your prediction on the game plan that will produce a victory November 3rd. Number one. The choice we make this November is going to decide the future of America 
for a very, very long time. I have no doubt that I picked the right person to join me as the next vice president of the United States of America, and that's Senator Kamala Harris. Biden-Harris debut. Cheers and applause replaced by social distancing and masks. We will look at what the California senator brings to the table aside from her hapless run for the top spot, which included a brutal shot at a man she always claimed was a family friend. It is kind of strange, wasn't it? You heard about Bo Biden talking about Kamala Harris, who sadly passed away from uh, brain cancer, and they had a great relationship and how tight they were. And when Kamala Harris tries to run for the nomination, she takes aim, brutal aim. Not I disagree with the policies of President Obama, brutal aim at Senator Vice President Joe Biden. And was we all know it. We played the clips a million times about his stand on busing. I was that little girl was portrayed in SNL. And then she went at him again when it came to sexual assault allegations. Should you believe it? Should he still run for president, even though he got all these complaints about unwanted touching from the former vice president? He goes, well, you got to believe the women. And now they tell us they've been family friends forever. Really? I highly doubt it. Just like I highly doubt that she's a moderate, that everyone's portraying. Why is the L.A. Times? Why are the New York Times and Washington Post? Why is George Stephanopoulos going out of his way to say she is a moderate? Why not just embrace the fact that most of the Democrats have moved to the left and try to win an election? Why? Because they know their internals reveal, I believe, that they can't win with that. So you're saying that what you're doing is not popular. What you're doing with law and order is not popular. By giving illegals government-sponsored health care is not popular. By having open border is not popular. By destroying oil and gas is not popular. By signing up to the Iranian deal is not popular. So you're trying to say what you're going to do is not popular, so you're telling us you're not doing it. But you're going to do it anyway. Amazing to me. Also, Joe Biden, whole thing, bring back American jobs while raising the corporate tax rate. Please. It's impossible to raise corporate taxes and expect American business to come running back. We dropped it to 21 for a reason, to get them back, and they started coming back. So I'm fascinated by the attacks that took place yesterday. Now, one of the attacks was about the jobs and President Trump's record. I'll let you hear what he said, because probably in the afternoon, if you were waiting to hear them at two, you didn't hear them until like four or five or later because they had problems with the transmission. But here is Joe Biden attacking President Trump on the economy. Cut 10. We just need a president and a vice president willing to lead and take responsibility. Not as this president says, it's not my fault. The the governor should thank me more. As that old saying goes, give me a break. We have an economic crisis. More than 16 million Americans, 16 million, still out of work. Donald Trump is on track to break another record, on track to leave office with the worst jobs record of any American president in modern history. Okay, this is very, very rich. Number one, what about that old saying, give me a break? Oh, that goes back centuries. I think Moses said that one, said, how long do I have to walk in the desert here? Give me a break. If you're going to say an old saying, say something that is not a phrase. All right, number two. And by the way, Warner Wolf is owed money for that. I'm sure he coined it. Number two, when you talk about the economy, Trump matches up with you. Blaming President Trump for the economy is like blaming the Yankees because they're not selling out Yankee Stadium. They're not allowed. He was told by almost every expert to listen to the science. In March, he did. He brought the economy to a halt. And we've been paying the price since. 
Either you want them to listen to the science or do the Swedish model and ignore it. Take people that we believe on a brand new virus are susceptible, salt them away and keep it going. That's the only thing that Trump is vulnerable to. And there's not one Democrat that recommended we do that. So you're going after the president on the economy. Hmm. As if we're going to have short-term memory loss and don't realize where it was, what it's doing now, how it's beginning to rise, pension funds, 401ks. If you're lucky enough to just purely invest, you see we're about 28000 I don't love the economy now, but I also know you can't blame President Trump for the economy now. Now, you want to talk about testing and things like that? Go ahead. Game on. I also, I also love that Joe Biden says, I'm going to look at some of these states and decide they shouldn't open up. Good luck. You're going to go tell a governor, Democrat or Republican, now what to do after they've been given the autonomy that the Constitution gave them and the president was willing to uh, afford them and not challenge. Now you're going to go in and say, I've got a little problem in North Carolina. I have a couple of issues with uh, Montana. Good luck, uh, Mr. Vice President. And right now, according to 538, that... Much heralded Nate Silver's polling firm. It says Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have a 71 chance, a 71 percent chance of winning the election. If that sounds familiar, it should. That's exactly what they said last time. He's beginning to get in striking distance on every single battleground state, although trailing. Does that sound familiar to you? It does to me. Here is Kamala Harris, who will do the traveling for this duo. And I love this. I forgot what what network it was, but they say. Like Vice President Pence, Kamala Harris will do much of the traveling for the ticket. No. Donald Trump travels just as much as the vice president. They go to different places. Don't act like this is typical. Joe Biden hiding in the basement is the craziest thing ever. As atypical as pandemic world is, this is nuts. But go ahead. You think you won already. Cut 11. He inherited the longest economic expansion in history. From Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And then, like everything else he inherited, he ran it straight into the ground. Because of Trump's failures of leadership, our economy has taken one of the biggest hits out of all the major industrialized nations with an unemployment rate that has tripled as of today. Because it was about 3%, 2%. And it's it's about... think uh, about 11 percent now and we know it's turning around and we know it's not because of his tax cut we know it's not because he cut regulations we know it's not because he cut new trade deals because he did all those things setting us up to maybe recover quicker than anyone expected i'm I'm amazed they're attacking him on the economy when this almost every poll reveals that the president grades higher on the economy I'm bringing it back. He wants to bring it back better. Good luck. I don't see any precedent for it. What I find most astounding, and I hope you understand this is just not true, Kamala Harris is not a conservative. She wants to run on law and order. She wouldn't have got the nomination. Did she put people to extreme sentences for marijuana possession? Reportedly, yes. Did she jail parents of uh, chronically truant students? Absolutely, yes. Uh, Did she... Side with police in many cases, the attorney general, yes, but not lately. She has gone the other direction hugely when talking about not criminalizing border crossings, talking about supporting, cutting money to law enforcement and reimagining police when it comes to the new Green Deal. This is not somebody that is moderate. Why is the New York Times, Washington Post and L.A. Times and the Channel 7, excuse me, Channel 7, ABC saying that? 
Here's an example of Kamala Harris not being moderate. Cut 17. I strongly believe that we need to have Medicare for all. And within that system, there... Do you think that's socialist or not, Medicare for all? No. No. It's about providing health care to all people. Green New Deal, you mentioned that, and it's a resolution that I supported, and I support the goals. And we're going to have to figure out a way to get there. As part of your assault weapons ban, do you support a mandatory buyback? I think it's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it, we, have, it, we have to work out the details. There are a lot of details in it. I do. Yeah, I mean, we have, to take those, we have to take those guns off the street. I'd raise your hand if you think it should be a civil offense rather than a crime to cross a border without documentation. <laughs> can we keep the hands up so we could see them? And she kept her hand up when this question went out. Do you prefer, do you support giving government-sponsored health care to illegals? The hand stayed up. They never asked that question again because all of them look like raging lefties. In order to get the nomination, they wouldn't have been able to do it. So they never asked the hands up anymore after that. And Kamala Harris, as you hear the hesitation, she was winging it. She didn't prepare for anything. She gave a great speech, extremely talented, extremely bright. I get it. Well-educated. I understand it. But she never did the homework on these issues to let us know what the people wanted to hear or what she thought. She was winging it, spent most of her time walking back uh, her statements. She got 3%. Her staff was at each other's throats, and she disbanded everything despite a huge treasure chest of supporters, money, and celebrity support as well out in Los Angeles. They all loved her, and they probably still do. We'll talk about that and more. I want to get your take on this matchup. 1-866-408-7669. Then we're going to go to Harold Ford on that, and then we'll go over what's going on with the economy, and we'll also review the coronavirus. Are you bringing your kids back to school? I'm all for it. I love the fact the New Jersey governor said it. This New York governor said it. I despise the fact that this New York, New Jersey governors are keeping gyms closed. It is criminal what they're doing, destroying business. They get paid, but they don't want the small business owner to do it. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Got a lot to say. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in 
Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And this morning, all across the nation, little girls woke up, especially little black and brown girls, who so often feel overlooked and undervalued in their communities. But today, today, just maybe, they're seeing themselves for the first time in a new way. And that is... Uh Vice President Biden, who is the Democratic nominee, and he wants to be president starting November 3rd. He has named a running mate. It's Kamala Harris. And uh, the senator from California has a Indian background as not American, but from India, as well as an African-American background. I shouldn't say African-American. I say Jamaican. That's her dad. And no doubt about it, it's an historic candidacy in terms of uh, ethnicity. Joining us now is Harold Ford, uh, former uh, excuse me, joining us in 10 minutes is Harold Ford, former congressman from Tennessee, my bad, that's coming up next segment. I was kind of introducing him for now. But I just think it's, it's right. It's historic. And I think one thing Republicans are making a mistake on is not acknowledging that this is historic, that this is new, and that it is a, a woman, and it is an accomplished woman. My problem is she's being totally misportrayed as a moderate. In fact, if you think I'm overstating this, Listen to how every network was announcing Kamala Harris and what she did and who she is. Cut 18. Kamala Harris comes from the middle of the road, moderate wing of the Democratic uh, Party, not the first choice of progressives. Cultivating a moderate political reputation and inviting criticism from some liberals that she was insufficiently progressive on criminal justice issues. Harris is not a radical. <laughs> she is a she, she, she's a centrist and a moderate. The Trump campaign has been chomping at the bit for someone to attack something to stick and they seem to have uh, only this attempt to tie a decidedly moderate uh, ticket to the radical left. And that last guy is Ali Veshi, who was sitting in front of like five burning buildings and say there were peaceful protests. That's how clueless he is. Either you go ahead and cite the fact that she had all these liberal causes and she was one of the many fighting for all those things I mentioned seven minutes ago. Or you say she's a law and order person who had a change of heart. You can't vote to defund the police and credit Los Angeles, the Los Angeles mayor, for doing that. At the same time, say you're a moderate. You can't. And by the way, now that's websites down, but yesterday, the Antifa website, if you click to donate, and I don't know why you would, it went to JoeBiden.com. So wait a second. Hmm. JoeBiden.com. If you went to Black Lives Matter, it went to a super PAC. Uh, I think code blue, Democrat, uh, Democratic super PAC. So the unrest, the buildings, the businesses that have been destroyed, the cops that have been hurt, wounded, killed, the federal buildings that have been uh, graffitied and ransacked, the precincts that have been raided. Those people are bringing you and uh, asking you to donate to Democrats. I want to see, and it didn't come up yesterday, how they feel about the president on China. 
How do they feel about the president bringing $400 billion more into NATO? How do they feel about them, the president, getting his allies to push back on the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline from Russia? How do they feel about the president unleashing the Navy into the South China Sea, pushing back on China's expansion? How do they feel about that? Who sickened the world with their pandemic? And again, to fault President Trump on the economy, where it is now, it is like ridiculing the Los Angeles Lakers for not being able to sell out their home arena. They have no choice. And they had no choice. The question is, when we do have a choice, who do you want to leave? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What they're about to do is create such a backlash of support for Kamala. Because once you go down the angry black woman thing, even African-Americans who might have been a little bit red you know, holding back, well, what about our criminal justice piece? Now you're creating a wave of sympathy and empathy and solidarity for her. Don't forget, this summer was demonstrated by the millions that it's not just black people by ourselves. You have tens of millions of white Americans that don't like the way black folks are being treated and, and, and shown. In a way, uh, now Van Jones one of the smartest. I really like him, even when I don't agree with him. I just think he's so smart, and he doesn't just do the normal reaction to uh, to everything, especially when it comes to race. Uh, Harold Ford joins us now, former congressman, uh, currently chairman of RX Saver. Uh, and when you talk about a moderate Democrat, that's Harold Ford, if you don't mind me labeling you that, Congressman. Is that, is that okay? Look, I take nice things being said uh, anytime I can get them. Is that a nice thing? In today's in today's Democratic Party, and I don't know the answer to what I just asked you. No, I just first of all, thanks for having me on. Good morning. Uh, always good to hear your voice. Um, but I think the whole moderate liberal progressive thing, you know, I think a lot of that has been so upended over the last. Uh, in both parties, has been upended over the last uh, last three or four years. In fact, President Trump has made it where even the Republican Party, you're either for Trump. Or you are not for Trump, and there are Republicans who say critical things, including this Lincoln Project. And on the Democratic side, I think some of the criticism coming the way of Joe Biden, who throughout his body of work in politics, I think it's really hard to credibly say that he's been some sort of out of the mainstream, uh, out of the center, flaming liberal. Uh, in fact, he's been the opposite. I traveled with him multiple times to the Middle East when I was in Congress. I mean, he offered daring and different ideas on how to resolve the matters in Iraq. You may recall he was the one that offered the idea of essentially balkanizing Iraq and allowing the Kurds, the Shias, and Sunnis to have different territory and land when it looked like we couldn't bring any reconciliation amongst the three groups. That, that idea was lambasted, supported by some conservatives and liberals, lambasted by others, and even, even Kamala Harris, who – has been criticized for her law enforcement and jurisprudence decisions, or should say so, uh, justice decisions as an attorney general of California, only now. And I heard you this morning. I, I watched Fox and Friends. I heard you guys this morning talking about talking about her. Look, this is politics. I, I, 
when you go up against someone in a primary, there, there, there are things that are said in a primary. I mean, George Bush, the first George Bush, H.W., went on to be the vice president to Ronald Reagan, and he called supply-side economics voodoo economics. Um, but the two of them got along. Harold, if I asked you— but, yeah, there's different things on nuances. Number one, when it comes to foreign policy, Biden's but, got but, experience, but he doesn't have great—his great, decisions aren't good. But that's not a nuance. The Ronald Reagan, H.W. Bush was not a nuance. But they, they were in a party, and they got along. They came together. He calls supply-side economics voodoo economics. Now, again, I would agree with you. Things have changed. Things have progressed. But they are the, the, the paradigm remains the same. I didn't mean to interrupt your question. Go right no, ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. But here's an example. If I asked Harold Ford, and I do hope you get into politics— uh, again, if I ask Harold Ford, hey, uh, Harold, are you for defunding the police? Uh, do you praise the billion dollars cut out of the NYPD or the 500 or, or the 140 million cut out of the LAPD? I don't care if you if it would get you elected or not. You, I can't imagine you ever supporting that. And either well, she's going to. It's right. But she did. She just praised the, the mayor for cutting that out of the budget. She also put her hand up when it comes to giving illegals government sponsored health care, decriminalizing border crossing. Now, either you're just making it up and you don't believe what you say, which I think is terrible at this level. Or number two, embrace your past. I'm going to ma- give maximum sentence on marijuana charges and embrace your past. On on criminal uh, on jailing parents of chronically truant students, one or the other, because she seems to be making it up as she goes. So, a couple of things. One, this race is going to be decided by these two guys at the top of the ticket. First off, two, I would agree with you. I'm against defunding the police. I have been since this. First of all, I didn't even realize we'd be debating this, but I know it's come up. I've shared my views, and I've shared my views about. We did. We certainly need police reforms. I think the two go hand in hand, and you shouldn't defund the police as you try to reform and strengthen the police. Look, decisions and positions that any candidate for office may have made over the years that they change. And they, they, the only way you maintain credibility is you stand before the public and say, here's why I've changed my position. I was opposed when you know the question was asked of all the candidates, do you support decriminalizing. I can't remember the exact question, but it certainly talked about decriminalizing border crossings or or not holding people accountable for coming here illegally uh, across the border. And all the Democrats raised their hand and they said that they you yeah. know, would decriminalize. And they never asked but it again. Have, <laughs> right. They'll, they'll have, but that, those, those answers will have to be explained. Just like, you know, yesterday I was deeply disturbed uh, reading a tweet by President Trump where he said that suburban moms should feel very confident he won't allow low-income housing residents into their neighborhoods. And if Biden wins, he'll make Cory Booker the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. I, I, I read that with, with, with disgust, with, with disdain, and with there's only there are only one or two things that really get me boiling. And racism is one of them, and certainly hit. Congressman, do, do you know how, how it was explained to me? And you tell me if I'm wrong. Projects into middle to lower middle class neighborhoods were upsetting people who earned their way there. And 30 percent of all suburbs are minorities. And that's what he thinks he's addressing. When people come in and say, I'm putting a series of homes in your area without your permission. That's what he was saying. Right. Well, I, I, I read that a little different. I think there's a history to that language. And I can tell you there are groups of there's a large group of Americans when they read that. They read that as, as a comment that is that is racially riven and enriched with 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 unfortunately racial hatred. Like you, I, I, live, I have I have a home, and I certainly wouldn't want anyone, whatever their race may be, moving into my neighborhood that would want to be disruptive. And anyone that assumes that 
that because someone happens to be black or brown that they are coming to be disruptive. I think is problematic, and the president should, if, if indeed he meant what you said, he should clarify it. But and I'm willing to listen to him on that, uh, and I hope that all any open-minded person uh, uh, who wants the country to be better will will allow people to grow and mature as candidates. In fact, President Trump supported me when I ran for the U.S. Senate 15 years ago. In fact, I read where he supported even Kamala Harris Absolutely. when she ran for Attorney General. Yep. So people can people can evolve and change and you know uh, change their views. I think I, I watched your show again this morning, and I watched Don Peebles on, and I thought. He was. I thought he made some really salient points, and perhaps the most important point he made was whoever's going to win this race, if it's going to be a re-election of Donald Trump or an election of Joe Biden, and I, and I candidly and in full disclosure before Joe Biden, the only way that the, – the way you win is to talk about the future. That's always been the, the recipe, the winning recipe in politics. And yesterday was fine, the pageantry of announcing sure. Senator Harris on the ticket. They needed that. They'll get that day or two. But now the real hard work starts, which is I know – if anyone understands that in politics, it's Vice President Biden. You have to lay out how you're going to reinvigorate Main Street after what we've gone through. There's blame to go around, and I happen to think that President President Trump deserves some blame, not for starting the virus, but for, for the answers. But the real question for the American people, I think, is going to be, particularly in the six, seven states where this race will be decided, yep. is what will you do? To make the country stronger. Exactly. And Congressman, better. and that's and why you might, reinvigorate the economy. you might agree with me on this. To come out and say Donald Trump has lost more jobs and his economic record is going to be worse than his. I go, really? Do you really think the American people are going to have forgot what happened in March? You can't say, listen to the scientists. And he did. And he shut down the economy and say, how can he shut down the economy? Well, he's got the worst job oh. record. Well, I'm, I'm, if you don't want to go back and say, I'll get, get, let me take his record in January or February, if you don't want to do that, you better not take it after March. You can't have it both ways. And you're not going to be able to put that over on the, on the American people. Uh, you have to focus on what you just said. And that's what uh, Don Peebles said from the Hamptons this morning, who's a Democrat. He said, come on. You can't just say, well, the president has a terrible economic record because of the last six months. We're in an unprecedented, in modern America, global pandemic, which we didn't start. If you want to talk about, well, he should have done this quicker and sooner, you got to be ready for your own record. You, why was Nancy Pelosi walking through San Francisco in Chinatown without a mask on when if this was so dangerous on the West Coast? You know, why was Mayor de Blasio saying we're going to celebrate Chinese New Year because China can't because they had this virus. So if you want to do that, we can go there. But I want to look at the uh, I want to look at the big picture now. Biden, Joe Biden is the person you knew traveling around the world when you were in Congress. But this is where he's going at 77 years old. And listen to what this congresswoman told The Daily Show on Monday. Congresswoman Jay Powell. And. I will be pushing him. I will, you know, as soon as we get him in the White House and even before um, with these task forces that we had, we were able to significantly push Joe Biden to do things that he hadn't signed on to before. So he is movable. He is listening. So she's able to do things. You know that Kamala Harris says no more fracking. You know that's been Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, um, Texas. That's not going to fly. So is he going to say no more fracking? So he says, well, no, you can frack. Any new fracking? He doesn't really want to answer. Antifa, when you click on Antifa, it goes to vote Joe Biden. When you click on, uh, when you click on Black Lives Matter, it goes to a super PAC for Democrats. So is he going to endorse Black Lives Matter and some of their 
principles that are on their website. I understand the spirit of Black Lives Matter, but the organization is a different story. Antifa, is he going to say Antifa's got some good points? Because they could, he should reject their money if, if, they, if he doesn't believe that. Look, I, I don't know anything about Antifa other than what I, what I read on. You see the damage they're here. doing, though, right? No, no, I, and I, I don't support that. Now, we should be clear about two things about Joe Biden. He's against defunding the police. President Trump repeatedly says that, and it's not true. And, and uh, if, if, if those of us who are going to be honest about the things that Joe Biden has said and has done, uh, we should also be honest about what he is not for. He's also not for Medicare for all. And although he has added someone to his ticket that may have some differing views, uh, he's the president. He would be the president. It's his call. Now, I listened to the congresswoman, which you played there. And look, every congressperson believes they're going to push someone in their party to do something. And in fact, uh, Joe Biden, just four months ago, many people thought or five months ago, many people thought yep. that, that maybe have maybe five or six months ago, many people thought that he might lose this nomination to to Bernie Sanders and or Elizabeth Warren. In fact, he rejected their views. He said, I'm going in a different direction. Con- and he has. Congressman, so that's not forward. true. He signed oh, no, a document. They co-signed a document that they have the same agenda. What, what agenda is that, Brian? That's not fair. He's not for defunding the police. He's not for Medicare for all. What 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 is it that he is for? That Bernie it's, it's Bernie like Sanders, between fifty and hundred pages. But the Bernie Sanders supporters and Joe Biden supporters it was also reported when that when I think what you're citing was 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 shared publicly that their their camps as they were preparing for the Democratic convention, went at one another pretty aggressively. Look, I, I take the candidates at what, what they say, and I look at their body of work over the years, and I think voters will as well. I still maintain we have to talk it- about the future. How do we grow the economy for Main Street, not just the wealthiest of Americans, because look, the, the wealthiest of Americans seem to be doing better in some ways economically during this pandemic. We've got to find ways to, to, to rekindle and create a renaissance with small businesses, with Main Street America in Pennsylvania, in Texas, in Ohio, in Michigan, and Wisconsin. Look up, look, Whoever's able to do that, lay that plan out, is, is, the, is the candidate. I know, but, the but, but uh, what, I, can't, I can't trust what they say. Now, you say you didn't want to defund the police, but he did tell one of those supporters, I'm willing to redirect money away from law enforcement. And the, and the woman that he's running with that he chose, we know she's cheering for this, this movement. And Bernie Sanders said this. I was uh, very delighted that the vice president uh, agreed to work with our campaign in putting together six separate task forces dealing with the major issues of our country. And I think we hammered out some agreements which will make, uh, in my view, uh, Joe Biden a very progressive president if he, in fact, implements uh, what has been uh, written. You don't think that gets people nervous? That this, well, said, that this, right. this is a party coming together. One of the one of the challenges of a nominee of a party is to unite his party and bring them together. I remind you that during the 16 campaign, President Trump and Rand Paul and Lindsey Graham had fierce, fierce and public disagreements about matters. But once he was elected, they figured out ways to get along, which is not unusual for the leader of a party to do that. I, I do not believe that Joe Biden is going to change his mind on spending all of our government funds in ways in which we don't have the money to do and on things that don't make sense. 
regardless of who put the idea forward, be it a Democrat named Sanders or a Republican named whomever. Joe Biden's history as a politician suggests just the otherwise. In fact, he's been well, criticized by Sanders and others for positions he took over the years. But now, but, if but, you but and I agree, the campaign right. is about the future and about what he what he may do and what his running yeah. mate may do and the kind of agenda they want to pursue. Right. If they lay out a plan that is appealing to a, a majority of Americans, they will win. And if they don't, they won't. Here, here's one thing, Harold, Harold. Here's the one thing that you can't, you'd have trouble pushing back on. He is taking President Trump. Um, America first attitude, and he's putting it in his own statements, and he's saying buy American. At the same time, he's pledging to jack up the corporate tax rate at least eight points. If we're having, if we're getting com- companies back slowly at twenty one percent, don't tell, don't we're not idiots. You're not going to jack it up to twenty eight percent and get more businesses back. Final thought. He's willing to spend a trillion dollars or $875 billion as the Build Back First Plan, Build Back America Plan, or Build Back Better Plan, excuse me, that that he laid out. But but those union members are Americans, Brian, and they they spend money in their neighborhoods and communities. They send their kids to school. They They pay for groceries like the rest of us do. We can argue over those things. President Trump has had four years. Every president has four years to do the things he or she will never had a she, but he says he's going to do. Hopefully we do one day. And the country will have an opportunity to judge him on those four years. This is nothing unusual. And Joe Biden is laying out his plan. I happen to believe the more he talks about the future, Joe Biden, that is, the less he right. dwells on the past, the more the country will find his ideas resonant. And the, the, the more Donald Trump tries to attack uh, uh, Kamala Harris for in the ways that he did yesterday, and I think play a divisive game. I think the worst right. it will be for him. Well, you, let me just tell you, just just know, Senator Harris ripped Trump for about twenty minutes, and to think she's not going to get hit back, you get you have to look at both both sides. Oh, no, I, Before I, I Trump talked, he got ripped for a half hour. I agree. The pageantry of yesterday is one day, and, and President Trump is one thing we know yeah. about President Trump. He does not take a take a, a hit sitting down. Congressman, so I got to I got to go, but you made great I, I, I points. Was, I was not surprised about that. Uh, you got great Thanks points. You, you you want the Joe Biden before President Obama, and I just don't think he's out there. But you made great points, and you backed it up. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Same. Best to best to your family. Thanks. Same to you. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So if you have to leave our family of affiliates and you want to have your iPhone with you or your uh, Android, download radio.com. It is just fantastic because this way you can get our show each and every time live when you get it uh we also post the podcast but to have radio.com with you in your back pocket or in your pocket or at your desk if you have an ipad i have so many people say to me you know when i go to travel or i'm not getting the signal great i'm in a, a bad area or one of these cars that doesn't have a regular radio it is really fantastic so hopefully you'll go download radio.com it's been great to have them as a partner I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeade.com. If you go on to pick up any of my books, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, and now on our paperback, Tom Jefferson, The Triple E Pirates, Andrew Jackson, The Miracle of New Orleans, or George Washington's Secret Six. It's all there, as well as two books for young readers who I know are having a hard time learning these days. 
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Uh, live from New York City and heard around the country and around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. As I walk to work and walk from work, I don't take mass transportation. Uh, I don't take the subway, but I take mass transportation. I take the train. There's nobody in the city, and I've never seen the, uh, New York the city degrade like this one has, especially unless, of course, I watch Seattle and Portland. That looks like it's gotten so much worse, but I don't know those cities too well. And to see Chicago have a second round of looting, I'm wondering if that's coming next to New York. At least Chicago was standing up again. I walk through the city, there's no one coming back to work. And I'm even seeing that Bradley Cooper, uh, a guy that lives downtown, one of the many celebrities, Tom Brady's got a place here. They're all not coming back. Bradley Cooper's looking for a place in Connecticut. I mean, if we lose Bradley Cooper, why come to Manhattan? Am I correct? And Tom Brady as well, who I believe plays for another team now. Uh, so, listen, it's going to be a big hour. I got uh, Chris Wallace, who's just about ready, and Betsy McCoy will be with us. Uh, part of the ridiculous regulations in New York, they're making shampoo girl people, men and women, take a 1,000 hours worth of health classes in order to do their job. Who would take a 1,000 hours of classes to be a shampoo assistant? That's the regulations that are just strangling this city. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The virtual learning is not like being in a classroom. And we've learned that, I think, very strongly. In almost all cases, people thought for a long time that would be the answer. But it's, uh, that's not the answer. No kidding. The answer is an old-fashioned one, isn't it? Uh, coronavirus or not to have the coronavirus. We can't do anything about that, but we got to get the kids back in school. That was the message from the president at the White House yesterday, and that's exactly what I believe and what my kids are doing. Emotions are high on all sides, and there's an argument on both sides. But you know where I stand. I need to know where you stand. Number two. There's a reason it has hit America worse than any other advanced nation. It's because of Trump's failure to take it seriously from the start. Right, and roll the video of Nancy Pelosi uh, hugging all her constituents in San Francisco um, in Chinatown. The reaction to the Kamala Harris nomination, wide sweeping. How she attacked the Trump administration was, to say the least, eyebrow raising as he talked about the economy and the president liking terrorists. Uh, the response was rapid, direct, and clear. Let's get your prediction on the game plan for both sides and who will emerge victorious November 3rd. Number one. The choice we make this November is going to decide the future of America for a very, very long time. I have no doubt that I picked the right person to join me as the next vice president of the United States of America. And yes. That's Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, the Biden-Harris debut. Cheers and applause replaced by social distancing and masks. We'll look at the California senator, what she brings to the table, aside from her hapless run for the top spot, which included a brutal shot at a man she claims to have always liked. But first... 
Now it's time to welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show, the esteemed Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday. What is it about me that ticks people off, Brian? Always honest, always fair, and always balanced. Are you a cocaine addict? No apologies for relentless fact-based reporting. I <laughs> are a little punchy today, aren't we? <laughs> Folks, we take this stuff very seriously. Right. So seriously that Brian has once again been named this Sunday's power player. This is the essence of fake news. Donald Trump is right. You are the enemy of the American people. <laughs> <This is fake laughs> <today. laughs> it's Chris. Brian Kilmeade can be my power player, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, there are so many things that are wrong with that. First of all, would you stop the Emmy-nominated thing? Because what you're, what you're saying is he didn't win right. the award. He was just nominated. He didn't win. So that ticks me off every time. I have not committed to naming you as the power player. You can, as, as uh, Joe Biden would say, you can whine all you want. I'm ah. not giving you the power player. Well, okay. I'm available tomorrow for a taping, but I can't be there live but we Sunday. We could talk about Countdown 1945. Because I think today's VJ Day, victory in, in uh, over Japan, and you know that's what we talked about in Countdown 1945, which is available at local bookstores and online. Yeah, the extraordinary story of the 116 days that changed the world. Last week it was the anniversary of the uh, bombing, uh, of dropping that's the atomic right. bomb. So but this it did great. Take the Japanese a little while to get the message. Hey, they got another atomic bomb. Maybe we ought to surrender. Right, and we've come a long way. Then now they're our friend. And we defend them. And now we're kind of hoping that they'll start defending themselves. Uh, so welcome back, Chris. Great to see you. Since the last time we spoke, we now have a running mate. It's no surprise it's Kamala Harris. You said yesterday she's a moderate. And my answer to you is, is she a moderate as attorney general or a moderate as senator? As attorney general, perhaps she doesn't want to talk about that. But as senator, she was voted the most liberal senator in the Senate. More liberal than Bernie Sanders. What do you mean there is she's a moderate? I uh, hesitate to say this, and, and uh, Allison, please mark the tape. I think you're right. Uh, I would say that her record as attorney general and district attorney was pretty moderate. She, in fact, was criticized as one of the things that hurt her in the Democratic primary, that she was seen as being too tough in prosecuting drug cases. She was seen as being too soft in going after policemen who were involved in shootings. She opposed a special prosecutor to investigate police and shootings. So she was uh, pretty moderate then. I would say she's moved to the left uh, as a as a senator in Washington. Having said that, I, I think when you, when you talk about people on the far left of the Democratic Party, uh, like Elizabeth Warren, some of the others, I, I actually still don't think that I would put her in that group. And it's one of the reasons that I think that the Trump campaign and President Trump himself have had some trouble in in figuring out how they're going to go after her, how they're how they're going to uh, sort of name her, target her. Because if anything, I think it's it's kind of legitimate to say that she is a shapeshifter. She does evolve. Right, uh, evolve in a way that maybe makes the left comfortable, but maybe not being. Uh maybe not those who want her to be moderate. Here's an example of how she's evolved. Cut 17. I strongly believe that we need to have Medicare for all. And within that system, there... Do you think that's socialist or not, Medicare for all? No, no. It's about providing health care to all people. The Green New Deal 
you mentioned that, and it's a resolution that I supported, and I support the goals. And we're going to have to figure out a way to get there. As part of your assault weapons ban, do you support a mandatory buyback? I think it's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it, we, have, it, we have to work out the details. There are a lot of details in it. But I do. No, I mean, we have to take those, we have to take those guns off the street. I'd raise your hand if you think it should be a civil offense rather than a crime to cross a border without documentation. <laughs> Can we keep the hands up so we could see them? And she went on, she was asked again in that first debate, and they never asked it again, Chris, because you didn't moderate. They said, keep your hand up if you want to give government-sponsored health care to illegal immigrants. And she kept her hand up, as did Joe Biden. See, I was going to say, so did, so did Biden. Uh, yeah, look, the party has moved to the left. I, I, it's funny, I just got an email from somebody uh, criticizing me for exactly this. And, you know, look, the whole party has moved to the left of where it was. You, you look at where what Joe Biden is proposing now and where Barack Obama stood just four years ago, the president. And this country has moved on a lot of issues or uh, the Democratic Party has moved on a lot of issues. That, that's just sort of the nature of it. But in the context of the Democratic Party, I don't think she is on the extreme left, the far left of the party. I don't. Well, uh, and, and, no, and, and part of that includes her record over the course of her career in uh, in California as attorney general. But she's running from that. Attorney. And Barbara Boxer told her to apologize for that. I'm sorry, say that again. Barbara Boxer told her to apologize for that. Yeah, well, no, I know that. I, look, it's going to be an interesting campaign and there's no conservatives aren't going to like her. So I, I, I got it. I need your expertise. Why yes, would sir. there be a concerted push by many in the media like George Stephanopoulos and others to say she's a moderate, she's a moderate, she's a moderate? Why would it matter? Uh, like, if your party moved to the left, just say it. If the if the Republicans move way to the right, just say it. Why is the media going out of the way to say she's a moderate? I can understand well, their campaign. I did, I, did I say she was a moderate? I know I said that I didn't think she was on the far left of the party. If I said she's a, if I said she's a moderate, you know, maybe I should have oh, said that. But I do think I do think that she is not on the far left of the party. Uh, oh, I wasn't talking about you. I'm talking about Stephanopoulos, Kristen well, Walker, know, but- Welker of. Uh, of NBC. I was talking about MSNBC's Ali Veshi. Oh, she's a moderate. She's, I go, wait, wait a second. Uh, I didn't even, you know, why is it up to you to label her a moderate when her recent policy well, shows she way went over to the left? Well, well, I do think this. It's a fair question to ask people, how would you characterize her in the context of the Democratic Party? And, you know, people will disagree. And there are certain things you can point to. Uh, one of the things that I think she could be hit on more, and this goes to the phony issue, is that she she has changed you know i said she's a, you could call her a shapeshifter she has has for instance as attorney general she talked about how the, one of the most important things is to have cops on the street and i saw that oh. one of the things that she has said particularly since the black lives matter movement is that we need to rethink policing not to fund police she hasn't called for that but you know actually calling for fewer police on the street it's one of the things that frankly i'm working on for sunday because you know we're, we're trying to understand a record where she is and uh you know like like anybody it's there are usually some inconsistencies in people's record and you know you want to you want to explore that people should should know where she is having said all of that i think she was the obvious choice for uh, Biden, and I think she was a good choice. I mean, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Maybe she'll flame out during the campaign. She's a good choice, and I thought she did a good job yesterday. Right. She's she she doesn't. I mean, I thought she did a good job in her speech. She had a great speech to say, "I'm in the race." It was uh, awesome. It was twenty minutes. I think twenty thousand people. And then when it came to the issues, 
she didn't think them through. And it's not that she's not bright. She's extremely bright and well-schooled and uh, experienced. And she was winging it. Remember she said, I'm going to get rid of private insurance, and she quickly had to walk that back? Uh, a weapon, weapon spend? Yeah, why not? Let's have a buyback program. Let's uh, get rid of the Second Amendment. Let's get rid of the fa- – wait a second. Have you even thought this through? She earned the 3%, and even though she had plenty of money and star power, she she bowed out before the first primary. So you were critical of – them labeling the Republicans labeling or the Trump team labeling her a Republican, excuse me, a far left liberal. Okay. Now, do you think this is a good tact? Cut 11. He inherited the longest economic expansion in history from Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And then, like everything else he inherited, he ran it straight into the ground. So, well, yeah, I thought, really? I, as I was watching that, I, I thought that's going to drive uh, Trump nuts. He's going to—that's really going to tick him off. Having said it, it, is it a cheap shot? Sure. I mean, obviously, uh, the what drove the economy into the ground was the coronavirus. And you know, I, I look—I I take that point. But politics is politics. Are people going to deliver cheap shots? Sure. I mean, but we're both, not stupid. She wants that to resonate with the American people. Hey, honey, why did Trump run the economy into the ground? I forgot. Really? So you want him to listen to scientists who say you have to shut down the economy, and he well, listens right. to scientists. And do you think do you think it's a fair shot to say? I'll be interested to hear your answer to this one. That Joe Biden is out of it, and as as, as Trump said in his interview with me, if he had to, uh, submitted to an interview with somebody like me, he'd be on the ground crying for his mommy. Yes. You think that's fair? Oh yeah, and he won't sit down with you. That's that goes back to original bet. Uh, because we watched it, Chris, last week what, I was playing what, those cuts. He, he, he had one person <laughs> ask him, he had one person ask him about his cognitive test, and he yeah, said, what are you, well. a drug addict? Are you on cocaine? That didn't go well. Right. He can't sit with you. No, but what I'm saying is in politics you have a certain amount of people, you know, they, people say things. That's it's part of the fun of politics. People are going to say right. things. I just thought you had a. Let you had, me ask you this. Do you, let me let ahead. me ask you this one question. As he said, taking over the Brian Kilmeade show, who, who is it that you think would have been a better political choice for Joe Biden? Forget the question of governing. The question of getting him elected president on November third. Under his criteria of it has to be a woman and a woman a minority. I, well, I he never said it had to be a, a minority. He mm, just said a woman. Well, he got a lot of pressure. I think she was the I, I predicted it would be her. But my feeling is when she opened up on him and did the whole background, the 1970s and busing thing, I said, well, I thought I, they don't have any relationship. And then yesterday she came out and said, we've been family friends forever. I'm like, really? That's a family friend? Not just, hey, I would tax less and my corporate tax rate would be a little bit more. It is, I was that little girl. You're against busing, hanging out with segregationists. And those people deserve to be believed. I'm thinking to myself, I don't need any more family friends if that's my family friend. Uh, but well, it was, it's you a, know, politics ain't beanball. Uh, you know, it's a. Uh... I mean, ain't beanbag. It's a it's a tough competitive sport. I mean, well, let me give you an analogy. George, let me give you an analogy. Well, George H. W. Bush called uh, Reagan's uh, tax plan voodoo economics. They ended up serving eight years together. But I mean, they still it, were that, for that's yeah. What happens? Yeah, I know what you mean. But for example, Frazier never fought Norton because they were friends. They would have made a lot of money, but they were friends. So boxing well, and that's politics. A good, that's a good example. <laughs> Thank you. I wish I wish Ali had never fought Fra- uh, Norton. Norton broke his jaw. 
good memory. But and then they had three I, fights. I, it was just a bad matchup for Ali, right? I mean, he just could not hit him. Yep. I uh, actually went again, taking our show off off track here. I went to Yankee Stadium to see in in the middle of Yankee Stadium in the infield, sitting there on the wow. field watching Norton fight Ali. It was that was something. If we ever chose to hang out, we'd have so much to talk about. But you just don't want that to happen, uh, Chris. We're going to watch you on Fox News Sunday. Only, only because of social distancing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we need a bullhorn. We'll have a great conversation. Yeah. All right, uh, Chris. Uh, we're going to watch Fox News Sunday, and it's, and you're going to have big ratings just because you do our show. Thanks so much. Uh, absolutely, and 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 our power player about you. Yes, I'll be I'll be ready for tomorrow. I'll tape it tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Back, good. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's listen to go out to WRCN on Long Island. Brian's there. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian, this guy Ford's got to make a better Um, If he's trying to win over independence, his argument's a little disingenuous. He wants to tell me that uh, Biden's not going to change his mind. And, and I don't think, honestly, Joe Biden remembers what he had for breakfast. So, you know, he's basically a marionette, and, and he's going to be ran by the party. And for an independent, you know, to sit here and, and listen to them try to run on economics, I mean, telling me, I don't remember that that there was a a pandemic that shut down the entire world as as our economy was going through the roof. I mean... And, it, it, and Brian, I'm going to add something right. else. You know, the $600 no one's getting now for the last three weeks because we're at a standstill. Don't you think that has something to do with the fact for the first time in 21 weeks, we had under a million, 963,000 jobless claims? People are going back to work because it no longer pays more to stay out of work. Correct? Yeah, it's a big problem, Brian. Thanks so much. Wesley, North Carolina. Hey, Wesley, WPTF. Hey, Brian. Uh, yeah, uh um, my my comment was that uh, I mean I'm telling myself now that the that the the most accurate way to view the Kamala Harris selection is basically an assurance of the deferred third term of Barack Obama. Absolutely. I think Obama was I think Obama was his ego was first dinged with Trump's election, further dinged when Trump eviscerated his legacy, further dinged still when his pick during the Democratic primary, who was Harris, showed up gotcha. abysmal. Thanks, Wesley. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. As you try to get a rescue package, uh, from the federal government, New York has got their hand out like no other city, perhaps. And they want a ton of money, billions of dollars. Maybe California wants a little bit more. And now you have the mayor of New York, the worst mayor ever, who says, I have to lay off about 22,000 people, 22,000 people, unless I get money from the federal government. This is the same guy that came out and said, "Don't worry, I'm not going to beg anybody to stay in New York. We'll just get people to replace you. 
Forget it. You'll never get people to replace you in the city that you currently have it in the state it's in right now with homeless, overwhelming Chelsea, the Upper West Side. People are saying the heck with that. The rent's already too high. My leases are too cumbersome. And there's no reason for me to make my business come out of New York City when I have to worry about my my employees' welfare. Joining me now is Betsy McCoy. She's a former lieutenant governor of New York and chairwoman of the Committee to Reduce Infection Deaths and uh, one of the smartest people, especially the one of the most well-read of New York, who truly understands the challenges of being here. Betsy, put it in perspective. For people on the outside, outside Chicago and Cal- over in Chicago, California, in Dallas, how bad are things in New York? Things are very bad in New York, and I'm not talking about the coronavirus because the infection rate is now below 1% day after day. The fact is that Albany politicians and New York City politicians are making this state an unlivable place. They've imposed so many regulations that you can't even get a job. I don't know whether you saw this latest bill that's being teed up in Albany This bill would require the person who stands at the sink in a beauty salon and puts the plastic cape around you, leans your head back into the sink, and shampoos your hair to complete 500 hours of cosmetology school. That that costs over $16,000 at some schools just to be able to shampoo your hair. How can you get a job in a state like that? And why are they doing that? Because the Pauls have their hands out. They are rewarded by the lobbyists for these cosmetology schools to make it impossible to get a job. Which is nuts. I mean, why they're able to get away with this is crazy. At a time in which you should be embracing making things easier for business owners, you're making well, it worse. Right. And I'm, re- I'm seeing jobs are down 37 percent in New York. And by the way, this is not just a New York disease. This is happening all across the nation yep. where career politicians in the state legislature have their hands out and they pander to the groups, whether it's cosmetology groups, hair braiding schools. Uh, interior design schools, you name it. The fact that you have to get a license and spend five figures in tuition to go to one of these schools to, to perform a practical job is an outrage. And the Pauls make out like bandits and working people are getting screwed. There's eight states that have banned health clubs. New York and New Jersey are two of them. And it makes no sense. There are no numbers that back it up. They can go monitor restaurants, but they can't monitor health clubs. Right. You're destroying the small business people. Is how, how is that okay? New York City. He's destroying it. The museums are closed. The restaurants are, aren't offering indoor dining. He's destroying it. And New York's infection rate, that's why I mentioned it at the very beginning of our discussion, has been below 1% day after day after day. It's one of the safest places to be in the entire United States. They're shutting it down to destroy Trump and to beg for money from Congress. They're not shutting these businesses down and keeping them shut in order to protect the public. I agree with you, and that's your recent column. People are saying, well, New York, they're high-fiving. How did you do it? Really? You, how do we do it? To do what? 32,000 right. New Yorkers have word. died of the coronavirus? 33,000. That's right. New York has the highest carnage rate. That's what I call it, because these deaths in New York were not just due to the virus. The sad part about this, Brian, is they were due to terrible decisions by the politicians 
in New York. Decisions like forcing nursing homes to take COVID-positive patients in when the nursing home had no way to prevent that deadly virus from racing, racing through the nursing home like a brush fire. And you bring up that Manhattan has uh, plenty of beds, but the boroughs don't. Oh, and that's why yeah. the carnage Those took place. outer borough hospitals were death pits. Literally, death pits, because they had about one-fifth as many beds per capita as a Manhattan hospital. So Coney Island Hospital, if you went into Coney Island Hospital with coronavirus, your chances of dying were 41%. You might as well be in the worst third-world country in the world. Nuts. Uh, and then 17% of Manhattan. So let's right. talk about, well, you know, I talked to Janice Dean yesterday about it, and let's talk about the nursing home deaths. He does well, not take responsibility terrible. for anything. Forty-one percent of all the deaths are, are those people in nursing homes or senior facilities. That's right, because the governor, and by the way, followed the money trail. It's clear. He didn't do this. It wasn't just a mistake. We all make mistakes, especially when we're in a new environment like coronavirus. It wasn't a mistake. It was because of the money. The Greater New York Hospital Association is one of the largest donors to the state Democratic Party. The head of that organization sits next to the governor at all the fundraisers. You can see they see him in the pictures. So when he said, we want the hospitals to discharge these people to nursing homes, the governor just rolled over because he had a lot of money in his hand. It's nuts. And when he says, well, the city's out of control, I blame the mayor. Uh, The the virus hit us worse than anything else. I I don't do pandemics. Nobody told it was coming from Europe. But he did come out and make a statement. The New York hospitals will never have what happened to China happen to them. We're the best in the world. I'm not putting down one nurse or doctor or attendant listening right now. But that was clearly a statement he wants back. That's right. And it's not just Cuomo. Look at what the New York Times is doing, distorting the entire picture, claiming day after day that New York is heroic how it took on the coronavirus, when in fact deaths per capita higher in New York and New Jersey than anywhere else. And the ability of people to survive once they got it in New York or New Jersey far lower than anywhere else because for years Cuomo had – gradually made very bad decisions that depleted these hospitals. So that's why Coney Island Hospital had such a high death rate. You know, it's amazing. We're talking to Betsy McCoy, former uh, lieutenant governor of New York. He's also writes columns in the New York Post. And she's trying to uncover what's going on here as we try to stand up this economy again. And I'm just uh, amazed that the, I guess, the mayor said you can go back to school here like they did in New Jersey, but they never check with the principals. They never got a plan together. So the principals <laughs> right. just put their hands up and go, wait a second. I'm not ready to go back to school. You didn't even indicate how to do it. When the, pre- when the, may- when the governor asked for plans, he put together 32 pages, which was barely a summary. So yeah. he's the worst. But what I want your very important audience to know is not to believe what you see on CNN and the New York Times yep. about how terrible it is across the nation. You look at a state like Florida, which has been vilified by the New York Times. Paul Krugman calls the governor of Florida, he uses the word stupid over and over again, and claims that Florida is where the deaths are highest, where the cases are highest. The fact is, if you get coronavirus in Florida, you have four times 
four times, that's 400% better chance of surviving it than in New York. Four times better chance of surviving it. 43 if you're an states. elderly person in Florida, yeah. you are only one quarter as likely to get that virus and die from it as in New York. Because Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, took all the steps right at the beginning to rush supplies and staff to those nursing homes. He did it the right way. And he's being vilified because he's a Republican. The, the New York Times calls Florida the pandemic playground. That's a terrible thing to say. Steve, I, I cannot believe you read Krugman. I haven't read him well, in, in years. Well, somebody's got to answer this man. Right. Well, yeah. But I don't, does anyone take him serious? I mean, he's scared to death of his own shadow. He has, uh, He says the world's coming to an end, that Donald Trump is going to tank the entire economy. And when he didn't, <laughs> Uh, I think he should get, you know, he, he was actually rooting against the country. And as he often does. But don't believe the New York Times. They had a big they had a big chart on the front page the other day about how many infections there were in the United States compared with other countries. Well, first of all, the infection rate, it's because we are doing a fabulous job now with testing. Almost a million people a day get tested and half of the results come back within 24 hours. But the second point is that this is this country is the size of a continent, and they're comparing the number of infections here with small countries like Italy and saying the U.S. isn't doing as well. <laughs> it's it, it's kindergarten stuff. So this mayor says he's going to lay off 22,000 people. Uh, he's hired 35,000. He should. He should, by the way, because he has constantly increased the workforce in New York. Why does it take? Twice as much money to get a simple job done like paving a mile of road in New York as it does in Florida. Why? Because Robert Moses isn't Florida. around anymore? <laughs> it's, it's because of the, the work rules. Hmm. New York taxpayers are getting ripped off. No question. So, uh, Betsy, what I'm, what I'm wondering in the big picture is this law and order and the mentality with the, oh. the 36,000 cops and how many are retiring. Um, you remember what it was like before Giuliani, and now we're witnessing what it is like when someone's intentionally trying to destroy a city. It is going back worse. New York is in havoc. Chicago, you saw the attack on the Ronald McDonald House yesterday. Seattle, all of these cities are, have been handed over to the thugs and the anarchists, and it's happening in New York, too. They put a big Black Lives Matter down, sign down Fifth Avenue, but when de Blasio was asked by the police union, can we put a blue live sign down one of the streets, oh, no, they're not allowed to do that. Well, in my book, blue lives really count. They do. Uh, Betsy, thanks so much. I hope to talk to, you know, how many years is, does he have left, de Blasio? We're counting it by the minutes. Two years, <laughs> I think, right? Years. Yes, that's right. Two years. We have to get somebody to really come in and want to do, uh, you know, get, bring Clean the up. city back. Because Republicans right. and Democrats, it doesn't really matter. When you're in the city, nobody cares what party you're in. They just want you to be effective. We He's gone out of his way to be streets. lazy and ineffective. Yes. Safe streets and safe schools. That's what New Yorkers want. I hear you. Betsy McCoy, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. LB, listen on WIBW in Kansas. LB. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. And as opposed to what Chris Wallace said, you are a power player of the Thank year. Thank you. <laughs> I, I hand, gave all you, my friends from Texas Sam Houston book earlier in the year over the holidays, and I listened on Audible to you reading it since I'm blind, but. I have a comment about baseball or analogous to baseball. Yep. You were talking yesterday about 
Donald Trump being down in several states. And George Brett famously said in the World Series 1985, they were down by four or five runs in a game. He came in the dugout and said, we got them right where we want them and went on to win the series. But also, Biden has never had a fastball, so he couldn't lose it. And that we now know what he did in Ukraine and China. He would go back on the Iran deal and on the climate control. But I have one question. Mm-hmm. If you could ask one of your guests, and I think Matt Whitaker would be the best one to ask, what happens when John Krugman comes out with his report later this month or September and there's all these indictments, but heaven forbid the Democrats win the White House. They put in a new attorney general, and all this goes nowhere. Yep, that's why they got to get gone, it done now. Yes. Well, they've gone. We've gone through two years of the Russia probe collusion, and wait, waited patiently, and impeachment, which was obviously a farce. And now, when it comes our time to make these people responsible, liable for all that they have done to destroy our country, you know, what's going to happen if uh, they don't prosecute? They got to go now uh, and they got to put it out there because it's not just interesting to know. It involves the man who wants to be the next president, Joe Biden. And LB, my, uh, my final thought on this is bad news. Mitt Romney strikes again. Senator Ron Johnson wants to call Comey and Brennan in front of the, his congressional committee, and Mitt Romney will not sign off on it. Therefore, as of now, we won't see either one. Unbelievable. Uh, LB, thanks. We're going to come back with more of your calls and find out if there is indeed more to know. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The Dallas Cowboys plan on playing all of our football games, and we plan on playing it in front of our fans. So uh, the NFL can uh, uh, be an exciting Uh, When I say exciting, it can be an inspirational part of how we address COVID, not only the remainder of this year, but as we go into 21. Yeah, and he's talking about putting people in the stands at Cowboy games, and that's my point exactly. When the Marlins come back and play and the Cardinals come back and play tomorrow after getting coronavirus through their roster, it shows the resilience we all have to have, whether it's work, school, or play, we got to get on with our lives responsibly. And that's what I love about Jerry, Jerry Jones. Yeah. Am I a Giant fan? Yes. But I think that's great symbolism. We're going to get out there. I'm going to put fans in the stands. I got an 80 to a 90,000 seat stadium. I can spread people out. Um, And let's go to, um, let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. The NBA has banned casual acquaintances. Evidently, they're showing up at the bubble. They have to prove that they are friends with the players in the Walt Disney World Resort. They have been coronavirus-free, and they want to keep it that way. I give them tremendous credit for that. Crack down, get through this thing, and we're about to start the playoffs. Right, Pete? Yeah, and they're doing it right. You know, And that's the advantage they have over college because they are in this contained bubble where college, that's where I guess they're having some issues. Yeah, other band guests include chefs, trainers, hairstylists, business partners, and so agents. You, so you'd be out. You wouldn't have your personal chef. You wouldn't have your hairstylist. That's why I will not play pro. Uh, I will not play pro basketball this year. Next, 
The Big East Conference postpones fall sports joining the Pac-12 and Big Ten. They are going to play college football. The SEC is playing, right? Yes, they are, and I think there are still some other conferences that are still looking at playing as well. I think they're going to, and I think the others that are not going to play are going to regret it, and I think there's a lot of players that are going to transfer if they feel as though they can play on one of these rosters. Yeah, Alabama. because you, could, you have the NFL draft coming up, and if some of these conferences like the Big Ten want to have a, uh, a spring season, well, some of these players are going to opt out because they're going to go to the NFL. Okay, next. Let's go to this story. Uber CEO says its service will probably shut down temporarily in California if it's forced to classify drivers as employees. That's the whole gig economy coming to a close. I don't know how I feel about that, Allison. Well, I mean, it's by classifying them as employees, there's a whole bunch of other legal things that they need to do for the employees, especially in California. So it makes sense. They have single-handedly destroyed the car business, but you lose quality. The customer saves the money. But you have no idea who's picking you up. There's no company making people responsible or really screening their drivers. And next, it's weird when someone tells you you've been too close for too long. Those are the responses from Kansas City superstar quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Players and staff are wearing smart watch-like devices that produce audible and visual warnings to help maximize social distancing. They also keep employees not required to interact with players apart from those who must. These are trackers handed out in the NFL. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, I had one of those watches, and it was buzzing constantly when we were doing the show on Long Island. Really? Well, yeah, because we were too close. You were too close to me. Yes. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were too dangerous. Although you did always wear a mask, and I did talk and kick the ball against the wall a lot. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Thomas Jocelyn, Senior Fellow uh, Senior Fellow Foundation for Defense of Democracies. In terms of uh, the Russians are up to, China's up to, the challenges we have internationally, he's one-stop shopping for it all. We also got some relatively breaking news. The President of the United States might interrupt me this hour. We might go to him, perhaps, or I'll bring it right back as live, and announce a peace deal between Israel and the UAE. What's significant about that? They did one with Egypt. We know about that to the Carter years. And they have basically the same thing with Jordan. There's been an unbelievably unforecasted reconciliation with Israel in that region. As most realize that Iran is the real problem. Saudi Arabia is no walk in the park, but they're the real problem. And people are realizing that Israel is not a threat and they're not going anywhere as their intelligence is through the roof. So the UAE and Israel will be announcing a peace deal. I love that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The virtual learning is not like being in a classroom. And we've learned that, I think, very strongly. In almost all cases, people thought for a long time that would be the answer. But it's uh, that's not the answer. The answer is an old-fashioned one, isn't it? Coronavirus or not, kids have to get back to school. That's the message from me and President Trump, who's more powerful than I am. Emotions are high on both sides, and there's a reason on both sides to stay away and go. I say we got to go. This is a virus we got to learn to live with, not run from. Number two. There's a reason it has hit America worse 
than any other advanced nation. It's because of Trump's failure to take it seriously from the start. That's wrong. The reaction to Kamala Harris's nomination, wide-sweeping. How she attacked the Trump administration was to say the least. Eyebrow-raising. Said there, they allow terrorists to roam the earth? And Trump's and saying the economy is his fault. Trump attacks back rapidly, directly, and clearly. Let's get your prediction on the game plan as we get set for November 3rd and the sprint to the election. Number one. The choice we make this November is going to decide the future of America for a very, very long time. I have no doubt that I picked the right person to join me as the next vice president of the United States of America. You better hope. Kamala Harris. Uh, Biden-Harris debut. Tears and applause replaced by social distancing and masks. We'll look at what the California senator brings to the table, aside from her hapless run for the presidency, for the top spot, which included a brutal shot at a man she always claimed, now she claims, was a family friend for a long time. Really? Family friend? That casts some doubt. So the the attack on the president. Kind of surprised it went into such detail. Let's go attack the president and Tom Pence, uh, Mike Pence, and let's attack what he did over the last three and a half years. Okay. How do you want to attack? You don't like his tweets? You don't like, okay. Uh, you don't like the fact that he's halfway into pulling Obamacare apart in the middle of nowhere? All right. What else? You don't like that he's building the wall? Too bad. But on the economy, does anyone really think the economy collapse is his fault? Really? Is that where you're going to go? And on terrorists? The guy that's taken out terrorist after terrorist from al-Baghdadi to Soleimani? Terrorists? Listen to Joe Biden. Cut nine. On January 20th, 2021, we're all going to watch Senator Harris raise her right hand and swear the oath of office as the first woman ever serve in the second highest office in America, in this land. And then we're going to get to work fixing the mess that President Trump and Vice President Pence have created, both at home and abroad, through four years of mismanagement and coddling of terrorists and thugs around the world. Really? Was it terrible foreign policy that you got $400 billion out of our NATO allies, the latest one, Hungary? Was it folly that we now have reestablished great relations with Israel? Was it folly that we have now united the world against Iran in a way that they'd never been united before, perhaps, and ripped up an agreement that made us look weak and we're being taken advantage of? Was it folly to send our our Navy fleet uh, back to the South China Sea to make sure Chinese didn't take it all? And when it comes to terrorists, let's take a look at his list that he killed off. Al-Baghdadi, dead. Soleimani, dead. A guy named Al-Rimi, dead. Al-Qaeda's Arabian Peninsula leader. Another guy named this guy, Drew Kal, head of Al-Qaeda in Islamic Grahab, which is uh, Africa. Uh, Haji Tishir is the senior ISIS leader. We know about Hezbollah's uh, Qatar Hezbollah. We wiped that guy out and his, then his media director at the same time. Hazma bin Laden. You recognize that last name? It was the guy that was the heir apparent to his dad. Dead. Hassan al-Majir, the top ISIS spokesperson, he was there when they were chopping off heads of Americans. And Asim Umar, head of al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent. Those are just some of the terrorists he killed. This is the guy that presided over the pullout of Iraq that gave us 
al-Qaeda in Iraq and ISIS. And we had to send our people back in there, make a deal with Iran, and they actually help push al-Qaeda out. And they've established themselves in Iraq to, in, a, in a place in which we're having trouble dislodging them. And among the people that are most upset are the Iraqis. Okay, terrorists. On the economy, cut 10. We just need a president and a vice president willing to lead and take responsibility. Not as this president says, it's not my fault. The government, the governor should thank me more. As that old saying goes, give me a break. We have an economic crisis with more than 16 million Americans, 16 million still out of work. Donald Trump is on track to break another record on track to leave office with the worst jobs record of any American president in modern history. Okay. Really? Terrorists and the economy? You want him to listen to the scientists. The scientists said, shut the economy down. He did. Now you don't want him to listen to the scientists? If you want to go back and judge to January, game on. The deficit was too high, but, man, the tax cuts were working. This country was humming. And we signed a new trade deal with China and just redid NAFTA that he signed off on. So now you wanted to say that he's lost more jobs? Well, now they're coming back. 4.8, 5.1, 1.8. And now the jobless claims under a million for the first time in 21 weeks when everyone said – uh, he's going to get smashed. It's going to be over a million. Nobody said it. And the reason why I know it's a big deal, because MSNBC and CNN have no longer been bringing up the economy today. Peace deal with Israel, just around the, Israel and the UAE, just around the corner. Does that happen without Trump? No. Does he have this relationship with Israel without Trump? No. I have no idea what President Obama and Vice President Biden's problem was with uh, Israel. But our, our relations were in the toilet. So that's what's going on there. The other thing we got to do is get back to school. I'm going to talk more about politics in a second. I'll do that with Daryl Issa, talk about who Kamala Harris is. I'm fine with that. But on the coronavirus, uh, the president knows the virus is here. It's a threat. But the younger the kids are, the more unlikely they are to get it and spread it. Cut 33. One thing we've learned during this horror show of uh, the China plague is that uh, virtual is not as good as being there. The virtual learning is not like being in a classroom. And we've learned that, I think, very strongly. In almost all cases, uh, people thought for a long time that would be the answer, but it's, uh, that's not the answer. So the, the answer is an old-fashioned one, isn't it? So there is a push to get back in schools. You've got to come up with a protocol in your town. It doesn't necessarily need money, but we've got to get money to help them out with some monitors and some additional, maybe some substitute teachers for teachers that might not be able to go back because they have diabetes or underlying conditions going through cancer treatment, things to that nature. So they might need some money, but for the most, they need organization. And in New York and New Jersey, they said, go ahead, go back to school. And they're saying in many states, in Georgia, there was some scenes of kids without masks, and they made this to be a big deal, like every kid's without a mask. It's not. It's anecdotal information. we got to get back to school. Cut 35. He's the director of education policy and governance at Harvard. Well, we know that if, for every year that you spend in school, uh, in the future, you will earn 10% more in lifetime earnings. So if we lock down schools for a year, we assign this generation of students to a 10% earning loss in the rest of their life. I mean, this is profound. That The, the costs are vastly greater than people uh, have uh, appreciated. 
And just real quick, uh, and that is true, and weigh in on it. You want to push back on me, it's okay. You're a parent or you're going to school yourself or you're a teacher, one 408 7669 A great day for peace. This is going to Ron Dermer, the ambassador to the United States from Israel. A great day for peace. Israel commends the courage of MBZ for the historic decision of the UAE to join Egypt 1979 and Jordan 1994 in making peace with Israel. Israel deeply appreciates President Trump has done to make this breakthrough possible. More to come. It's great. In a, in a world in which we get nothing but bad news, this is good. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. This president likes to go to the issue of nasty. He called me nasty. Strong black women. Let's go there. Let's not just say strong women. Strong black women. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris is now in that group. He's going to make more attacks. But when he has nothing to say and when he, he can't find anything in his limited approach to speak, what he will do is fall back on racism and sexism. So that's what we know. So we can't expect that throughout the rest of this campaign. Yeah, April Ryan on CNN. Such a balanced approach. White House correspondent for American Urban Radio. April Ryan saying that the president being calling uh, Kamala uh, Harris nasty is sexist. Are you kidding? Uh, He's an equal opportunity offender. I don't care if you're male, woman. He actually goes after sometimes uh, people that have passed on. So if you're going to go into the battle, you better not say I want special rules because they sat there and told the president they mock his hair. They mock his skin color. They mock his weight. They get mad at doctors for saying he's not that get mad at doctors for saying he's healthy, for goodness sakes, every single day. So if you're going to come out and you're going to attack him, he's going to attack right back. And there's nothing sexist about it right now. There is a there's a. Uh, There's a press conference going on in the Oval Office where the President of the United States is announcing a peace deal between the UAE and Israel. This is the first peace deal since 1994 in the Middle East. The last one's with Jordan, 1979, with Egypt, and they say more to come. Robert O'Brien speaking now. Jared Kushner obviously played a major role, and the Secretary of Treasury also spoke up. Ron Dermer, who is the Israel ambassador to the United Nations, to the U.S., is... Uh, just spoke and just put out a written statement saying this is a historic moment and credit the president for doing a lot of the work to make it happen. Joining us now is Congressman Darrell Issa. He is looking to be the next congressman uh, from the San Diego area of California. And uh, he is uh, he took a few years off, but now he's back. Uh, congressman, welcome back. Well, thanks, Brian. And uh what an interesting lead-in uh, with a breakthrough in the Middle East from the hard work of uh, the president, but particularly Jared, his son-in-law, who has relentlessly worked uh, to make possible that joining of Arab countries that have, have long ago decided that, uh, that uh, the Palestinians never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity and that it was time for Arab nations to uh, make peace with Israel and then work together for a solution when the Palestinian Authority uh, stops being corrupt and quite candidly anti-Israel, even when the rest of the world, except Iran, uh, has recognized the legitimacy of the Israeli government. Congressman, let's be honest. Uh, The hatred of Iran and the distrust of Iran has helped this happen, hasn't it? 
has. The fear of Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia has been a major force, even though they have a ways to go, that they, uh, they've been a major force in defining that the obstruction to peace uh, in the Middle East, according to moderate Arab nations, is in fact Iran's continued support for Hezbollah and Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and other groups uh, that maim and kill people uh, and then blame it all on, uh, uh, on not having uh, a peace. The reality is we would have had a peace in Israel, a Palestinian state living side by side, if not for Iran, decades ago. But since 1979, uh, with the help of President Obama and, and Vice President Biden, we've continued to basically allow them to sell oil uh, and then turn that into hate and murder. So I want you to hear a, a woman that you do know well, especially her governing style. She was an attorney general in California, attorney general uh, in San Francisco, and a senator from California now wants to be the next vice president. Here's a little of her yesterday, cut 14. There's a reason it has hit America worse than any other advanced nation. It's because of Trump's failure to take it seriously from the start. This is what happens when we elect a guy who just isn't up for the job. Our country ends up in tatters. You've, who is that person, Senator Kamala Harris, someone who took this seriously? Is she part of the same constituents of uh, Nancy Pelosi that walked through Chinatown in San Francisco saying you have nothing to fear without a mask while that virus was taking root in the West Coast? Absolutely. That's the same Kamala Harris that, quite frankly, Kamala Harris has been consistent in being on the wrong side of issues and then blaming the other side. One of the interesting things, of course, in California is she would be the first to say that what the governor is doing in California is right. But then when it doesn't work well enough, she'll blame the president. Well, the fact is we have here in California, we have a governor who has been very strident on a whole bunch of rules. He has gotten massive aid, including ships, medical ships, anything he asked for from the federal government, got a big chunk of those trillions of dollars. And uh, and then, of course, she doesn't want to say that it's, you know, her uh, her friend, uh, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom, that somehow has any responsibility. The fact is the president has led with a uh, an amazing uh, effort to get to a cure, to get to a vaccine in a way that not since the Manhattan Project in World War II have we seen the kind of resources in parallel that are going to get us not right. one, not two, not three, but perhaps four vaccines. But back to Senator Harris. Senator Harris is just an amazing person because nobody else I know could be in the pocket of the SEIU, could block uh, nonprofit, uh, this was in the Wall Street Journal this morning, nonprofit hospitals that were dying and bleeding from being rescued, uh, then have that cost us jobs and money, and then pretend that she's not in the pocket of the unions, just the opposite. She's a moderate. She's no moderate. One of the most important things to remember uh, is when we ran in California uniquely, uh, Brian, you know, we had two Democrats, no Republicans, on the Senate ticket, her and Loretta Sanchez. I campaigned for Loretta Sanchez. 
for a Democrat in a general election because she was comparatively the moderate. <laughs> there was no question at all. Gotcha. Harris was running as the progressive then. And the reality is she wants to change who she is now, at least for some people. Congressman, we're inside 20, but you're, you're up now in the 50th congressional district. What would it mean for you to win this thing? It means I come back with my uh, my 18 years of experience and an opportunity to regain a leadership position uh, that I lost because I left uh, for the administration and then was blocked by Senator Bob Menendez from uh, taking a, a head of an agency. But that's you know that's politics. That's the partisan nature that sometimes happens. I'm looking forward to it because I'm looking forward to term two uh, for the president and an opportunity to get America right. rolling again. Congressman, thanks so much. Best of luck. Thomas Jocelyn next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You Googled Antifa.com. It would take you straight to Joe Biden's website, his official campaign website. Odd situation. We don't know who's behind that. But it raises an interesting leadership question. Should Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, Kamala Harris, should they publicly denounce uh, the Antifa as a as a domestic terrorist organization? That would be interesting. After all. Uh, Antifa's website is a, uh, cited in the media uh, is, attack, is, uh, is something Antifa's a despicable organization creating chaos in our cities. Uh, and is it linked to Russia? I am not sure. Thomas Jocelyn might know. He's senior fellow Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and he wrote this great column, How Effective is Russia's Disinformation? Everyone's spooked out by Russia playing a role in 2020. We know for sure they'd want to. How effective were they and are they? Thomas Jocelyn, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. Tom, first off, do you have any reaction to this peace deal that caught me by surprise between UAE and Israel, the first one between Israel and another nation since Jordan in 1994? Uh, Not much other than I know it's been a a long time in the works, and it's obviously a good sign to see normalization between those two countries of relations, and you can only hope for more of it. So as we uh, look at Russia trying to get a leg uh, foothold in the Middle East, and they did flying into uh, that region and uh, reestablish themselves in Syria. When they try to put informa- disinformation into our system, like they did in 2016, you start you start to analyze how effective they are. What did you, what conclusion did you come to? Well, you know, Brian, I focused on the support that was put out by the State Department's Global Engagement Center earlier this month, and that report focused heavily on seven uh, so-called proxy sites for the Russians. Um, I was familiar with some of the proxy sites before reading the report, um, and then I, I looked at sort of, you know, what what are these sites actually doing, and, and how are they functioning, and what kind of impact are they having in sort of the American discourse. And I, after reading the report, I was left, uh, I think, thoroughly unconvinced that they're having much of an impact at all. If you look at these sites, they're sort of either um, well-known sites for sort of um, Kremlin enthusiasts or, you know, Russians, or there are sites that are sort of conspiracy mongers. They're sort of the sites that basically, you know, have 9-11 truthers, that sort of thing. Let me put it this way. If I were to if I were to get a computer in front of you or in front of your li- listeners and they were to take a look at these sites, I think a lot of people would look at them and say, well, what is this nonsense? You know, it's sort of catering to sort of a conspiracy theory mindset that's out there for, for sort of a niche audience. 
Um, and then I looked at their traffic numbers and I looked at how they're functioning online and they're just not really producing a lot of hits, a lot of visits. You know, one of the things I compared it to was, you know, foxnews.com and CNN are, are, are locked in sort of a digital battle. They both trumpet their own, um, you know, online viewers and, and visits in their traffic numbers to show that they're doing great and they are doing great. Uh, but when you compare these sites to sort of foxnews.com or cnn.com, it's just not even comparable. I mean, you know, Traditional news organizations, you know, Fox News' traffic on an average daily basis dwarfs what these sites are doing. And these sites are not driving stories at any of these sort of uh, more legitimate news organizations. So it, it's sort of, I think, very dubious to say that these sites are producing a, an impact inside of the, the American political system. But if the elections – and that's a good point because you bring up that, uh, you know, Fox, we get uh, billions of – if you combine us and CNN, we, we just destroy in terms of the Russian influence in these seven pillars. But you do bring up that RT, uh, Russian television, is pretty formidable. Yeah, I mean RT has three million uh, uh Twitter followers. They put out a lot of content that some of the guys that function on these proxy sites have also functioned on RT, formerly known as Russia Today. I mean, let me put it this way, Brian. I am very concerned about foreign influence in our political system. Yep. I have been for a long time. It's one of those things that I've been working on for a long time. I'm not really even sure how I'm going to address it going forward, but it goes way beyond Russia. You know, foreign countries, you know, one of my jokes is that it seems like every foreign country is represented in Washington, but often the American people aren't. Maybe the American people need an embassy in Washington, you know, because, you know, often these foreign, and it, it happens in ways that people don't even expect. You know, I've, I've run into this numerous times throughout my career of you know foreign influence. Um, but that said, you know, a place like RT or formerly Russia Today, you know, they've invited me on their show, and I won't go on because you know or one of their shows because it's such an obvious Kremlin front, um, and there's no dispute about that. They have a larger audience online and on TV and elsewhere, and they have more influence in terms of driving stories than these sort of proxy sites that were focused on this in the singular the singular uh, State Department report. So uh, when you looked at what they did last time, which is what everyone's been seeing, a lot of people point to the fact that even after Donald Trump was elected, they switched gears and they started organizing protests through, I guess, bots, for lack of a better term, uh, against Trump. And Michael Moore was one of the high profile names that fell for it, said, oh, there's a big protest. Let me go and show up. And they organized protests against us. So they were just cultivating chaos to some degree. Yeah, I mean, they, they are. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. And no, nobody should read my column and think that, that, that I come to the conclusion the Russians aren't trying to meddle in our politics. Of course they are. And, they, and some, of the, some of their efforts are going to have more success than others. I think you'd have to sort of look at, you know, what they're doing, you know, in the aggregate and then look for the individual examples where there is something disturbing or something to be worried about. And they certainly break through on occasion with the example you're, you're citing. Um, I, I think that our own our own heated political discourse is at a near all time high without the Russians, though. I think that we have a lot of division and a lot of discord right now without the Russians playing any role whatsoever. And you can you can run into this this sort of um, problem, I think, where you can start demonizing your political opposition by basically saying they're fronts, fronts for the Russians or they're just doing the Russians' bidding. Look, sometimes the Russians are going to do things that, that somebody we disagree with politically is going to seize upon or is going to be fooled by. And we should note that. And we should report on it and, and assess that. But, you know, there's this sort of reductionist mindset to try and portray, you know, certain parties as being just stooges for the Russians. And we saw that in 2016. We saw it afterwards. And I just don't think that that flies. Right. Now, uh, the one thing that I'll just counter you and just tell me if you think this is wrong, when only thousands of votes decides Wisconsin and Michigan and maybe even Minnesota, who knows, because the president's yeah, closing in there, uh, can you make that little bit of an impact could, could decide an election? You know, it, listen, that's an entirely valid point that even if they have a minor impact in an election cycle, um, that, 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 could, that could matter. 
I would just say, just looking at, first of all, if you look at what the intelligence community, um, you know, chiefs said, and throughout all the testimony before Congress, even some of the the, the personnel who were sort of the most, um, you know, I, I think biggest boosters for the idea that the Russians were trying to steal the election or influence, they couldn't even say that the Russians had an impact or had an effect. So nobody's put forth anything so far to me that says, okay, here's how they actually had an effect. Now, second of all, when I looked at what they did in 2016, for example, I mean, you know, a lot of it was pretty cheap stuff. I mean, a lot of it was stuff that wasn't necessarily even directly, um, you know, basically aimed at sort of just trying to get Trump elected, which is what sort of the distilled narrative is that you hear. A lot of it was just trying to sow discord, you know, so, um, basically, you know, sow, our, sow our, you know, basically add to our racial divisions, add to all of our internal disagreements, that sort of thing. So I think it, it, you have to be very careful in saying, okay, you know, look, the Russians are trying to tilt things, they're trying to influence things, but you have to be very careful and, and, and sort of have an empirical mindset to say, well, what are they actually doing that's having an effect? And you know, to me, some silly Facebook ads probably aren't something going to be device, uh, decisive in the Wisconsin or Michigan or someplace like that. So they must be thrilled with the results of their meddling to the degree that they, the results they got considering the impact they really had. Yeah, the, the coverage has been outsized compared to what they actually spent and what they've actually done on this type of stuff. I mean, you just look at the coverage inside the American media on Russian influence. And again, there's a story there for sure, and I think we, we have to keep covering it. But the amount of coverage, the amount of breathless reporting we've seen through the years on this far outpaces the actual – in my view anyway – far outpaces the actual impact or the actual – scale what the Russians have, have tried to do here. Um, and again, you know, I, I looked at this one State Department report put out earlier this month as sort of a case study to my mind of like, this is what people are talking about. Here are seven proxy sites that are, are supposedly a big threat to our information systems and how we acquire and understand the world. And I, you know, to me, I knew, I knew of a couple of the sites beforehand as just known conspiracy sites. You know, I didn't even, you know, one of them, I didn't even know was necessarily linked to the Russians, but it didn't influence me one way or the other because I just thought it was garbage, you know? So I think I think yeah, basically that's sort of you know you have to you have to take that into account like you know who is this actually appealing to and is it actually influencing or changing minds and none of that's actually been shown. Did we challenge this in 2018 when were we successful in the midterms in stopping it? You know I I think you know for the most part that's true I think you know one one advantage to the breathless reporting on the Russian influence is now that every time anything is detected having even a, a, a even if it just passes through a Russian Twitter associated Twitter feed there's all sorts of reporting on it and people are hyper aware of it hyper aware of what's going on and that and sort of that that sort of stigmatizes it and there's some something healthy and good about that I would say um, but uh, by the same token it could be blown grossly out of proportion you know I mean there was this video that circulated online that Senator Ted Cruz and Donald Trump Jr. and others highlighted that showed these poor Portland protesters, you know, setting a, a Bible or two on fire and then basically using that to burn an American flag. And sort of there was a series of events there. And the video that they looked at, you know, went through was initially edited by this Russian associated site called Ruffling, which is associated with RT.com. Now, what I would say about this, OK, you know, that's the type of thing that I as an analyst, as a researcher, I try to avoid any kind of contact or or anything with video footage or stories that come out of that sphere. I want to make sure I mark it and understand that this is coming from an adversarial source. Sure. Uh, but The New York Times is very quick to basically say that this was a story that was too good to be checked. Well, you read the New York Times own reporting on it, which and of course, it was politically motivated. And you can see that the, with the contents of the video, 
basically were right. I mean, this is basically what happened. You know, I mean, maybe it was taken a little bit out of context and there's some editing, but it wasn't like this was a blatant example of disinformation. And one of the things I point to in my column, and just as, as an explanation of all this, is that look, this different disinformation is coming from all sorts of sources. We had one of the top two Taliban leaders, for example. There was an op-ed that was penned in his name in the pages of the New York Times in February. Remember. And I think that if you examine that, that's a classic example of disinformation. Uh, you know, I, I very much don't think that was written by him. And if you actually know anything about him, this guy, Serge and Hakani, you know he's an arch terrorist and that this was really all spin. So the bottom line is, you know, we should all be cognizant that disinformation is out there, but it's coming from a lot of different sources. Tom, last, my last question to you is about China. We know their capability is much greater. We know, uh, and they came out publicly, that they'd rather have Biden in there. It does make sense. Do you think they are capable of infiltrating in a way that will really even do more damage than the Russians? Yeah, my intelligence sources are, are legitimately concerned about what the Chinese can do. And it's what the Chinese can do and what the Chinese can do in collaboration with the Russians. Because remember, this was supposedly the great benefit of the Nixon opening to China was that, you know, pinned you know, the Chinese against the Soviets. And that was sort of helped us in the Cold War. There's some truth to that, although I think that's also overblown in a lot of ways. Um, but in any event, this wasn't a lasting sort of rupture between the Chinese and the Russians, because today Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping are close allies and have been close allies throughout the COVID pandemic. So, uh, you know, these two nations together are deeply anti-American, and they both interfere or try to interfere in our political system and with our, our politics. And I think together, combined forces, they could probably do more damage than they could alone. And that's something to keep an eye out going forward. Last question. I lied about the other one. Are we ready for that challenge? Do you think our cyber people are up for the challenge and, the, and willing to repel what they're capable of doing? You know, it's a tough question. I don't know the answer, Brian. I know they're they're aware of it. They're they're doing everything they can. I think counterintelligence and the American counterintelligence officials are trying to do everything they can to counter it. Uh, but they're just different different scenarios that are very tough to predict, and it's very difficult to understand. You know, if if basically we can block them at every every uh, every pass. Uh, Tom, I love to uh, tap into you again as we get closer. Thomas Jocelyn, senior fellow of the Foundation for a Defense of Democracy, has got a great column out now about how effective is Russian disinformation. Tom, thanks so much. No, thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, he's smart as it goes, uh, as it gets. one 408 7669 we come back, I see you on the board. I'm going to try to empty it, give you more information. Help me reach my goal. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's a great deal of frustration that... There is this choice not only to nominate a candidate who is known as the author of what is actually called the Joe Biden crime bill, but that he's gone and also selected a running mate who is known for being the top cop from California, the state that has the second highest number of incarcerated people in America. When I look at this ticket, Sean, I, my conclusion is Biden is weak and Harris is fake. Her position on busing is identical to Joe Biden's. And yet she gives that impassioned, heartfelt story about what happened to a little child. And then it comes out the next day that she also supported what Biden did, which is no national busing program, but it should be determined locally. That was Biden's position in the 70s. It's Harris's position now. Yet she attacked him for having her position. That's the definition of fakery in a politician. And she's delivered it her entire career. And Ari Fleisch is hardly a firebrand, right-wing 
uh, right-wing person who just wants to vilify everyone. He's a thoughtful guy. They will call out President Trump when he needs to. He's more on the Bush line. But he said, I didn't vote for him last time, but I'll vote for him this time. But we do have to point out that the whole talk about the you're an honorary member of the Bidens and my son talked about you. And meanwhile, she's going out for blood. I don't mind that. But to me, she went out insincerely after him. Which, in a way, in which it's hard to recover from. It's hard to believe they made up to the degree in which. And if you see his face when she brings up that story, I was that little girl. You see his face is like jarred. Really, you're personalizing busing from the '70s. Adam was here on WABC in Queens, New York. Hey, Adam. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. Little uh, uh, sidetrack with Mitt Romney blocking Ron Johnson. Unbelievable, right? From Colin Comey. Yeah, it reminds me of your book, right? The Second Chance Man, James Fannin, didn't go to the Alamo. Right now we have our, our Travis and Trump, and he was not he's not as feeble, right? He's maybe Bowie and uh, Crockett combined. He's got Barr flanking him, helping him. He's got uh, his team around him and the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Where is Romney and Fannin? He's waiting for the rest of the rhinos to get slaughtered. They got to get it together. I just don't understand. They can't stay, stay at Goliad, right? They got to get out of there. Wow, they you do know come, your story. I have, to, I have to just define what you're talking about. What happened is, uh, so they have the Alamo. They got about 180 guys that are trying to hold off thousands of Mexican soldiers. So Jim Fannin, the West Point dropout, has troops, and he says uh, he's at, they ask for help. Fannin hesitates when he finally goes. They have some problems. They lose a wagon. He comes back and leaves those guys to die. He ends up suffering the same fate uh, weeks later. And that's the category you put Romney in right now. I don't understand it. You're not asking him to make a decision, a vote. You just want to hear what Comey has to say under proper questioning, knowing the, know what we know now. Why would Romney, uh, Romney stand in the way? Is he trying to be part of the Biden administration if Biden wins? It seems that way. He's just lost in the sauce. This guy, uh, Lion Biden with the chameleon Kamala. It's just uh, the uh, the success is is eminent for Trump. He he's facing hapless opponents, and he, he can't let his own team turn on him. And it's not his fault. I'm saying Romney, wake up out there in Utah. Get this guy out of there. I know he's not up for election right now. The fact is that constituents can call call up your senator. Tell him what are you doing. I hear you, and I I much rather John Huntsman. He was a brilliant ambassador. Uh, Adam, appreciate your support. Sarah, also on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Brian. Love your show. Thank you. I'm on the call to make a couple of points. First of all, I'd like to identify that Governor Murphy, I'm in New Jersey, uh, has taken away the senior freeze and homestead rebate, so he's absolutely destroying all the senior citizens' ability to stay in this state. Number two, I'd like to call and say that he is so against all small businesses and gyms. I'm a gym goer. I know. I'm in my I'm in my 70s, and I want to say that instead of just calling in to complain, I think people have to come up with strategies. I suggested to your call screener screener, that perhaps people, every one of these businesses, should put Murphy's picture, big picture, in the front window. All right, maybe. Uh, He's killing the gym business, but Sarah, thanks so much for being part of the show.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.